Wednesday evening, where once again we cover another topic of law. And this week, we pay attention to the global community. What are people doing out there that may affect us? You know, we have a new president in the United States, his, his you know, unpredictable as they come. Uh, and currently, we have the Prime Minister of the UK. At uh, Miss Theresa May visiting South Africa, and why is she here? What does that mean for you? That's our conversation today, where we'll be talking about international law, international trade agreement, international tariffs, international uh, sanctions, whatever is on your mind along those topics. That's our show for tonight, so you can look forward to that, and I look forward to engaging with you. Know your rights, know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuining Bill. All right, that's the law report. We are turning our eye to international affairs that have an, an impact on, um, uh, on on our shores. And I think one of the uh, most crucial things that have been very topical in, in South Africa lately is how Turkey, Turkey's economic turmoil or circumstances have an effect on South Africa and a lot of emerging countries. And I know that my colleagues here at KFM had a lot of shows dedicated to the effects of of, of, of this to our currency, to, to our trade with other countries. And this is the world that we live in today. And I suppose that the world that has been created for the last 100 years, where, where economic powerhouse countries can, can sneeze and then we feel it all the way here in Africa. And, 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 and you then see how that plays out, despite the fact that there are these laws. And I think the purpose of tonight's show is to, how do we then navigate these laws to ready ourselves? Because I can tell you now, if you are a Turkish citizen a year ago, you thought you were in the good books of the US being a NATO member. Turns out, no, you're not in the good books of the US just, just like that, with the drop of a pin or, as you will, with the election of a new president, your circumstances are completely different where you're experiencing hyperinflation as was the case in the likes of Zimbabwe. Can that happen to us? Will it happen to us? Well, is the tweet from Trump that we saw regarding our land issue a sign, one of those indicators? Am I too paranoid? Am I not? Well, whether I'm paranoid or not, I think the discussion is still relevant to say, how do these things affect you? And uh, I've, I've, I've sort of put together the show um, with the help of uh, Thomas, of course, but, and, and we've put experts from different fields and we, we, we have an economist, we have uh, a trade law specialist, we have an international law specialist. And let me then take this opportunity to welcome my guest. But before I do so, remember, as always, we look forward to engaging with you. If you have any questions for my guest, and I know that this show is going to be quite a ride, and I, I must warn you now, it's going to be quite a ride because we're going to be trying to cover many topics, many issues with great speed, but we'll make sure that we, we bring you we bring you with us. So my first guest, Ronim Kwanazi, corporate and trade law expert. And Dadam Kwanazi, good evening to you and welcome to The Law Report once again. Good evening, Michael, and thank me for having me here. And uh, all the way in Kenya, let me also welcome Dr. John uh, Nyanje. He's a Kenyan lawyer. Dr. Nyanje, good evening to you and thank you so much for talking to us this evening. Thank you very much, uh, Michael. I'm actually currently in Geneva, not Nairobi. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, 
I'm calling you from Geneva right now. Thank you very much. And uh, also uh, on the line, um, I'm not going to venture where you are stationed at the moment. Uh, Sia Beniza, he's an economist and also a political economist specializing in development finance. Uh, Sia, good evening and thank you so much for talking to us. Good evening, Michael. Thanks for having me. I think probably the best way to kick off this, this show is, is, is with, the, with the clip by Theresa May, and she's in South Africa, and um, she's looking for opportunities. And I, and I just want to kick off our show by paying you just this clip for a minute. We want to build on the strong foundation of our economic relationship to ensure the prosperity and security of our people. The UK is one of South Africa's largest trading partners with our trade worth over £9 billion last year. And we've agreed that as the UK prepares to leave the EU, we must think about how to grow that trade in the future. So today, as we've just witnessed, we've signed the joint statement with South Africa, Mozambique, Botswana, Namibia, Lesotho and Eswatini to ensure the provisions of the region's current trade deal with the EU continue after this agreement no longer applies to the United Kingdom. This important step will provide the strong foundations on which we can build a closer trade and investment partnership in the future that brings even greater benefits for both sides. The UK has long been the biggest investor in South Africa and is the second biggest investor across Africa. And as I said in my speech today, my ambition is for the UK to be the number one G7 investor in Africa by 2022. That sounds all great and well to have, you know, the UK be the number one investor in, in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they actually have that ability, I'm not even sure. But let me bring in uh, a Sia here who's an economist and, and perhaps um, uh, sort of get a perspective on whether we should be excited by the visit of the UK Prime Minister to South Africa and, and some of the words that and some of the words and the uh, 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 agreements that they hope to conclude. Should we be excited about them as South Africa, as the, as the African continent? Well, I think definitely South Africa, given obviously the historical ties with the UK, um, it is uh, at a moment for some clarity at least, given the fact that uh, the UK is finalizing its exit from the EU. And so given that it's also one of the key destinations for our exports to the EU, it was imperative to sort of allay uh, fears and make sure that uh, the relationship and the agreements going forward are not going to be deterred by the, the UK's exit from the EU. But obviously, this has uh, got more in, uh, you know, for gains for the UK rather than South Africa specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, South Africa at the moment is looking for foreign investment, um, which is what the president is trying to culminate uh, in October with the investor summit, uh, looking to attract all foreign investors and reach his 100 billion target that he set himself. Uh, and so, yes, the talks with the, the UK are a positive sign uh, that at least. Uh, the relationship will continue unabated, uh, given the fact that the the UK is exiting from the EU. And 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 so I'm sensing uh, the contrary to the scepticism that I seem to have read and the general sentiment expressed um, in, in in the media that uh, all of a sudden we're having this visit because there's an exit, uh, there's a Brexit as as they call it. Uh, because of the Brexit, maybe put differently, but for the Brexit we wouldn't have been having this visit. Do you share that 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 scepticism? 
Well, yes, I think given the fact that it is her first visit and it was uh, she wasn't just in South Africa, she was also uh, in Kenya as well as Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is pushed by their need, obviously, to ensure sustainability of their markets post uh, their Brexit. But I think at least with regards to the local political economic climate, um, her comments, particularly on the issue of the land reform, create a positive counterweight. Uh, to the negative sentiment that was expressed by Donald Trump just a week ago uh, and his view of the land reform process of the country is going. So I think although, yes, it it was driven by the interests of the UK, Mm -hmm. there is something that South Africa seemingly has gained as a result of this visit. Because now suddenly there's there's another voice to, to the issue of land. But I suppose... When it comes to Trump, as we'll soon sort of discover, um, his voice is, is in most instances quite a lone voice on, 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 a, on a number of issues. Maybe to bring it back yeah. to, 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 to you, uh, Ronnie, and, and I was just talking to, to Sia Beniza, and we're talking about how the, you know, this uh, emerges from the Brexit. Now, let's talk about Brexit. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people talk about Brexit um, um, uh, because that's what, you know, the sort of the separation. But what they're separating from is from the European Union. <laughs> Explain how that works, particularly okay. in the world now where suddenly issues of international trade um, are, are, are so important. Okay, uh, thank you for the question, uh, Michael, and also for having me again, and to your listeners, of course. Look, Brexit in a nutshell is a tragedy, right? It's a tragedy in a sense that... Um, you have, firstly, let's explain it as you're asking. What is the EU, right? Yeah. So the EU is a, is, a, is a club of 28 or so countries mm-hmm. coming together, saying let's create a common market, let's create free movement of people and goods amongst ourselves, and let's create long-term economic growth for the bloc uh, being the EU. Now, country states signed on to that. They signed an accession agreement to become part of this, uh, which is essentially and effectively what the rest of the world uh, ideally would want to have, you know, uh, to hunt in packs, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, sadly, the, uh, you know, the UK decided that they're exiting the, the, the uh, you know, the EU. And what that effectively means is that, you know, they now have to go into bilateral agreements with each and every individual state that is part of the EU, yeah. right? So they have to go and negotiate with, uh, with, with, with their neighbors, you know, and everyone else to say, look, guys, let's have new agreements. That's why I'm saying it's a tragedy because you had a, a common market, uh, you know, with a, with, a, with a GDP of about $20 trillion per annum, and you decide to leave that, you know, uh, and, and go and, and, and play alone in the cold, so to speak. So, 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 so I, mean, I mean, you know, like, I suppose we raise the same issue about, yeah. about somebody not interfering with the wisdom. I mean, the, the yes. Brexit arises out of a referendum, which is uh-huh. by vote. So let's assume, you know, leaving the, the, the issue of the wisdom aside. Mm-hmm. The, the, so what I'm getting from you is that yeah. what, they've, what the Brexit actually means is that uh-huh. they've walked away from an, a, a scheme of arrangement in terms of which they were able to hunt as a pack. Yes, and, yes. and I think use the word a club. Yes, absolutely. Now, yeah. what does this actually mean in, in terms of, you know, so let me contrast this mm-hmm. with, say, for example, right now, uh, following the Brexit, they would have no agreement with France. Yes. yes, uh, yes. What does it mean tomorrow, immediately? So yeah. assuming there is no bilateral agreement, uh-huh. does it mean there's more taxes 
That's yes. really the question. Okay, great. So, so, so the reason you have uh, a, a trading block, uh, as with the EU, NAFTA, you know, where, which the Americans lead, and of course, recently in Africa, where you have the Africa Continental uh, Agreement, is, is, is that you, you, you effectively have an advantage of having lower tariffs. In some instances, you'd actually have, uh, you know, free trade amongst nations to say, look, you, you know, we brothers, we sisters, you know, whatever we do, we do it within the family, and we've got special treatment and special arrangements for that. So what it means effectively is that immediately that, uh, you know, uh, agreement kicks in where, where, where the UK actually leaves the EU, because remember, they've got a two-year period in terms of, I think, Article 50 of, of, of you know, their agreement. Uh, it means that all those favorable terms, all those favorable tariffs and all of that are immediately removed. Mm -hmm. you know, insofar as the UK is concerned. So mm -hmm. they will now have to, as I said, go into bilateral talks with France and, and everybody else, Germany and, and the And each of those bilateral agreements could have different, different, yes, uh, different meanings for absolutely. different countries. I'm in absolutely. conversation yeah. uh, with Sia Beniza. He's a political economist specializing in development finance, as well as Ronim Kwanazi, who's a corporate and uh, uh, international trade expert. And also uh, Dr. John Nyanje, who's uh, 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 from Geneva, but he's a, he's a lawyer. Um, uh, let me come back to you, uh, uh, Mr. Nyanjin, and, and maybe just ask the simple and elementary question. What is a trade agreement? Uh, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, a trade agreement is, is an agreement between, it could take a bilateral form, and when it takes a bilateral form, we call it a bilateral uh, a, a trade agreement that mm -hmm. is between two states, but when it takes the form of many countries, like what we've seen with the uh, Trans-Pacific uh, Agreement, the TPP, it could take a larger group or what we have now in Africa, the African Trade uh, Free Trade Area Agreement, which is a group of 55 African states. So a trade agreement is where member states come together and decide on how to uh, deal with imports and exports among us themselves and among us the traders. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't include only the selling of goods, it also includes the settlement of disputes should there be able uh, or should there be a difference uh, when there is a selling between a member state of one state and a member state of another state. So it's a way of just regulating the business economy of import and export between countries that is both in goods and in services. So let me let me perhaps be be. Uh, uh, so I'm not sure if I'm, I'm I'm being inconvenient because I'm I'm now bringing back to South Africa. When you buy goods into South Africa and you're importing goods into South Africa, you pay what we call customs duty, right? And and yeah. the custom duty is set, as I understand, at a at a specific rate. So that's 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 what applies. So does it mean yeah. then that you have then a special provision between me buying me importing something me importing, let's say a phone? from America, so there would be a special uh, 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 rate. Uh, sort of a special rate that applies to that transaction if I buy it from America, relative to if I buy it from China, depending on the agreements that exist. Uh, uh, you see, these trade agreements take this form. Once, once you have a low, uh, 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 a low tariff on any good, that is, if you're charging very little tariffs on goods, it encourages people to buy the goods more because you get to produce it lower or you get to import it at a very low price. So if you get to import it at a lower price, then it means that in your country you can be able, if South Africa today imports, let's say, steel uh, from Malawi, which is known for selling steel from, from Zambia, sorry, which is known for selling copper, and you import this copper at a tariff that is very low, it means that when South Africa is making goods from copper, let's say 
electric transformers, they will be very cheap. That translates also to cheaper goods for South African users. And trade agreements are made in such a way, it's a reciprocal thing. So people look at what do you have and what can I give you? What services do I have and what can I give you? For example, the EU was, uh, in the EU, the UK was known for being uh, a provider of services, for example. The EU and Switzerland, which is not part of the EU, but, well, it has a lot of trade agreements with the EU, is known to be a, a, a service provider. Well, when you look at Germany, which sells a lot of goods, Germany is known to sell a lot of equipment to the other people. So what you do is, 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 is a quid pro quo among states of please give me this at a cheaper rate and you take this at a cheaper rate, whether it's goods or it's services, and which translates to a lower cost to its citizens and citizens can access goods and services at a lower rate. That's basically what the state trade agreements are all about and all the tariffs they try to impose uh, over time. I think maybe maybe just to add to that, Mike, and, and to sort of give, you know, uh, some, some examples of, mm-hmm. of what that would mean and why countries would have this kind of agreements is because each country has a different strength, right? So, for example, in, in the current trade war that we see going on between America and China, uh, you would find that America would increase their tariffs on, on, on IT equipment, on, on, on aeroplane parts and those kind of things. And when the Chinese retaliate, they would retaliate on soya beans, etc., etc. So each country would basically use its strength uh, from a tariff point of view and use that as a bargaining chip to negotiate uh, those uh, favorable tariff uh, regimes. If you've just tuned in, I'm in conversation with three wonderful guests trying to understand this international trade, well, international law on the one hand, international trade on the other and how these come together and how a tweet by an American president can have an effect not only uh, on South Africa but has definitely had ripple effects on the world as, as we know it and, 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 and I'm having in mind the likes of Turkey uh, and, and, and many other corporates and, and I think uh, uh, my guests are just helping me understand and helping us understand how these things then translate in, into your life and and see Abiniza if I could just bring you back here um, and, and and I just want to once again ask another elementary question to say when when a head of state comes to an, uh, 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 the, the negotiation table and and they make promises about trade I'm in my head I'm thinking but trade happens between me and Sia or Michael incorporated and Sia incorporated how do then they make good on these promises because it seems like is it the country that's promising or is it the countries within within Abegapan is the companies within those countries that are making the promise yes yeah, so typically what the government officials would do is to set a sort of economic environment right mm. and this is usually a combination as you've spoken of trade agreements and other legal uh, instruments that are meant to either ease business or transactions between the countries or at least encourage them. So, for example, things like tax breaks for investors from the other side, uh, or even tax breaks on exports from the other side. And generally, this is then uh, what encourages the trade and investment to take place um, towards the targets that the politicians set. Mm. Uh, so, yes, they set the environment, and then the private sector players get involved, depending on whatever sectors are part of the negotiations and what are the beneficiary sectors. I want to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about what what are trade sanctions what are what what are, what are tariffs uh, or I, I suppose economic sanctions tariffs what is what is all of that and 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 you know and how have all of these things affected the likes of companies such as ZTE which is a chinese company how they have affected turkey how europe and and the usa what you would have imagined as as great allies now suddenly having a very strained relationship that's when we come back for now we take a break 
Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuening Bill. Welcome back. I'm in conversation with uh, Sia Beniza, and he is the political economist specializing in development finance, as well as uh, joined on the line all the way from Geneva, uh, Dr. John Nyanje. And uh, with me in the studio is uh, Ronnie Mkwanazi, who's a corporate and trade law expert practicing under the name and style Mkwanazi Incorporated. He's right here in Johannesburg. And they're helping me understand some of these issues that uh, I imagine are going to be our reality. They already are international reality because everybody is, you know, there's a trade war going on out there and, and I'm not exaggerating there's a trade war that is that is currently underway and that trade war may visit our shores right but what has visited our shores is, 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 is somebody who seeks to promote trade we have uh, Prime Minister of the UK Theresa May who seeks to promote trade and sort of that contrast but we also know that a powerhouse such as the United States what they do has an effect on what happens I want to play you a clip by uh, Donald Trump listen to this But we have one particular problem, and I view them as a friend. I have tremendous respect for President Xi. We have a great relationship. They're helping us a lot in North Korea, and that's China. But we have a trade deficit, depending on the way you calculate, of $504 billion. Now, some people would say it's really... $375 billion. Many different ways of looking at it, but any way you look at it, it is the largest deficit of any country in the history of our world. It's out of control. We have a tremendous intellectual property theft situation going on, which likewise is hundreds of billions of dollars. And that's on a yearly basis. We have right now an $800 billion trade deficit with the world. So think of that. So let's say we have 500 to 375. But let's say we have 500 with China. But we have 800 total with the world. That would mean that China is more than half. So we're going to get it taken care of. And frankly, it's going to make us a much stronger, much richer nation. You know, that's the voice of um, um, uh, Donald Trump, the president of the United States. And, 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 and of course, this is what I was describing when I was talking about the trade war, where now there's uh, tariffs that have been uh, imposed on Chinese products coming into the U.S. What uh, China has then in turn done is it's, it's, it's retaliated by imposing tariffs on American products. And that's, that's what's currently happening. But perhaps to bring this to you, uh, Sia Beniza, to say, I mean, when you look at South Africa, um, uh, 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 trade, we, we sort of linger between a surplus and a deficit. So we don't have, in percentage terms, the kind of deficit that America faces. So perhaps, you know, we probably stand in a, in a better position where, where, where we might be judging America. And I'm playing devil's advocate here where we're judging America and saying, well, there's all of this trade tariffs and, you know, is this man crazy and whatever. But perhaps with a 800 billion rands trade deficit, perhaps is he so crazy? Yeah, look, I think it's looking at the world quite simplistically. I think just looking at one indicator in terms of the trade uh, balance of trade is a very skewed view because in as much as uh, the U.S. has a very huge trade deficit, it also has a very huge uh, financial account surplus, meaning that it invests a lot in the rest of the world. 
Uh, in addition to that, um, the U.S. has the privilege of being the global uh, trade um, currency. Trade currency meaning that they don't necessarily need to trade in order to get dollars. They can simply print dollars from the Federal Reserve. And, you know, other estimates uh, by other economists say that, look, the trade deficit that the U.S. has is what you would expect given the fact that it is the global trading currency and also given the fact that it is a net exporter in terms of finance to the rest of the world. And so um, this is a very simplistic view of global trade. And on the other hand, there's the issue of production, which is uh, you know spread across multiple countries. So if you think of uh, very common items such as smartphones, you have uh, you know Apple, for example, uh, one of the biggest corporations globally, has intellectual property uh, based in the U.S., so they're designed in California, mm-hmm. but the construction and manufacturing of the phones happens in Asia, mm. um, in China particularly, and then China exports those cell phones to the U.S. consumer market. And so who gets hurt with the trade, with the tariff increase, is definitely at the initial stages, in the short run at least, uh, American consumers. Yes, there will be sectors that benefit, such as the steel sectors, um, but other sectors will also will also be affected negatively beyond just the consumers as other countries start retaliating, as is the story with soybeans, etc. So I think definitely Trump is looking at it very simplistically. Um, but at the same time, he has got the sole interests of the U.S. in mind, but he is doing everything to undo uh, the progress that has been made in terms of global uh, you know, integration and the spread and uh, globalization of trade more broadly. And I think that the rest of the world will continue integrating and perhaps uh, he might be ended up uh, left on his own. I, I, I want to explore further what these issues of economic sanctions, what trade tariffs means. And, and, <clears throat> but before I, before I do that, I want to just interrupt myself and refer to a tweet which I, I, I described in, 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 in my tweet that it's, it, it, it was kind of disturbing because, I, you know, Donald Trump, when he tweets something, you, you know that he's going somewhere. And he's one of those guys that say, I promised that I'd do this and look at me, I'm doing it. And this is what he, he, he published on the 22nd of August. I've asked Secretary of State uh, 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 at Sec, uh, Sec Pompeo to closely study South African land and farm seizures and expropriations at a large-scale killing of farmers. South African government is now seizing land from white farmers. And this was sort of, you know, uh, uh, the talk of the town, particularly uh, in South Africa for the whole of last week. And now the reaction from our South African president is this. I want to play you this. This issue of the land, this issue that Donald Trump fears so much, we offer this question of the land. I don't know what Donald Trump has to do with South African land because he's never been here. And he must keep his America. We will keep our South Africa. That is what he must do. South Africa is our land. Does South that, Africa belongs to all. Have you, have you heard that before? We don't mind having and bearing sanctions banning us from Europe. We are not Europeans. We have not asked for any inch of Europe or any square inch of that territory. So, Blair, keep your England and let me keep my Zimbabwe. <laughs> So, so, so that's that's the world that's the world uh, 2008 that's still the world 
2018 and and for somebody uh, 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 as level-headed as, as our current president uh, mr ramaphosa to to actually uh, start you know uncharacteristically referring to this it kind of describes to you that we are in a different time altogether and and, and perhaps to bring uh, uh, dr john nyanje here because i think sometimes we talk about the sovereignty of states and 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 i think the sovereignty of states that issue then comes up um, um even through through the imposition of tariffs and sanctions um what are, what what does the law say in terms of our independence as a south african nation relative to a superpower such as america uh, uh, thank you very much, Michael. I think there's no doubt that when the, when, when, when the member states met to form the United Nations, they thought of every state as an independent state that should govern itself, that should deal with its own internal issues as they didn't fit. And only when the issues escalate maybe to issues of violations of human rights or violations of international, general international law, should maybe other states feel free to commentate on. But then it, it, it brings a big worry to see that in the recent years, the United States especially, and including some European powers, have used uh, a, a trade as a tool of interfering with the, with the sovereignty of many states, especially in Africa. Well, you could see that the U.S. is really interested in this issue, but then the truth is that the U.S. lacks locus to commentate on any issues raised by... South African Parliament or raised by the South African leadership that affects South African citizens. Those are issues governed by sovereign rights. Mm. And currently, as we're speaking today, we are, there is a case that is going on at the International Court of Justice between the U.S. and Iran uh, concerning the, uh, uh, the violation of the Treaty of Amity. And these are the same issues where a state tries to bring down another state's sovereignty using trade issues, and therefore it will give state, member states of the United Nations a very big worry that there are some states that feel almost bigger than any other state in the world that they can use indirect means of trade to threaten state sovereignty of many of states, especially in Africa. And this state sovereignty, especially, is threatened through either sanctions, which can take either in the form of quotas, non-tariff barriers, tariffs, they could even be embargoes. And you, you never know what's coming. And it, it, it's wrong to take one area of, 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 of dealing with issues like general trade law and trade disputes that are supposed to be governed as a member of the WTO, as a member of the GATT. The U.S. knows where relevant to deal with this issue. But, but, but we, we, say, we, we say this, we say this Doc, and, 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 and maybe just to bring you in, uh, uh, Ronnie, you know, part of the... So the U, U, USA... Um, uh, Iran and, and many other countries had an agreement for, for you know, regarding the proliferation of nuclear uh, weapons there. And the United States unilaterally withdraws from that against the advice of, of Europe. And then the United States turns around and says, well, if you're going to trade with Iran, you can't use our currency and if you, uh, we're going to impose sanctions if you are a company that does business in South Africa and um, I beg your pardon, in the, in the United States. And as a result, the French company Total, which is a petroleum company, we have it here as well, has then said, well, if that's the case, then it would have to stop dealing and trading with, with Iran. And that's the sort of impact that, that, these, that these nations have. How do you navigate that from a, you know, so you are now advising the, the CEO of Total or, or any other company. I mean, I could be sitting here in South Africa and some decision that's taken by Donald Trump now suddenly affects the, the, the and, and we've seen it even with MTN, how MTN has repeatedly suffered. Yes, 
Look, uh, trade agreements, like all agreements in life, is, is about self-interest, you know. So you have to look at where your bread is planted most and, and, and act accordingly insofar as, uh, as, as, as to, you know, what decisions you make as a country. So, for example, the trading with Iran is one of the reasons uh, why, uh, I mean, that America used as, 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 a, as a revenge to, to China, so to speak, as, as a reason. So mm. if in this case you, you're asking a, a hypothetical question to say, what do you say to the to, to, to the CEO of Total. You say to him, listen, uh, you have to look at where your interest lies. Um, if your bigger interest lies with the United States of America, then you're going to have to do what works for you in that scenario. Because in, after all said and done, it truly is a self-interest game that countries play amongst themselves. And you go with the, biggest, the highest bidder in that instance. And that's how it is, unfortunately. Economics once again. <laughs> Dr. Nyanje, Dr. Nyanje, you know, it just seems like such a raw deal uh, that, mm. that somebody... Uh, just like that could affect your, your entire business decision, your business strategy. And, 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 and I'm referring to this, but I mean, um, ZTE, the Chinese company, couldn't trade with the U.S. Uh, for quite some time. Surely there must be some laws that regulate when and how such things can be done. In other words, you can't have, as is the case now, mm-hmm. uh, a, a proclamation uh, uh, or even a decree by some president that says, well, in three months, this is, what's, this is the, the new world order. Surely there must be some ways of resolving these matters judicially, judiciously. I, 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 I think, Michael, there is means of, of solving this judicially, but then the problem that we are facing today is that the judicial means of solving this thing has been killed. Now, the funny thing is that when we wrote the WCO and my colleague who uh, is interested in, in, in international trade will tell you that one of the longest spending of time that we took as member states to come up with the gap in the <coughs> round is to discuss tariffs and how to solve them. Yeah. Now, we came up with a dispute settlement mechanism that today is as doomed as dead at the WTO. <coughs> we cannot solve disputes. And we cannot solve disputes because the U.S. has mm-hmm. refused appointment of judges. Yeah. And they have not given any reason as to why appellate body members cannot be appointed. So we don't know why they don't want them to be appointed. Therefore, there is no judicial means of settlement. Yeah. So when there is no judicial means of settlement, it becomes a game of retaliation. Mm. And i give you a good example. Mm. The taxes, in, uh, that, uh, the tariffs that have been put on China, the $16 billion goods tariffs, mm-hmm. will affect all neighbors of China. Because assuming China gets goods from Singapore, because last year only, China, 30% of the exports from China were assembled goods, meaning the parts came from Chinese neighbors. Therefore, if Singapore is selling this assembled parts to China, it means once tariffs are levied on China, then China will have to levy another tariff on Singapore. Therefore, this affects even member states who are not members. So assuming today a tariff is imposed on South African goods, South Africa doesn't trade on its own. South Africa will have to pass that tariff onto the chain of its SADC members, who will in turn also be affected. Therefore, this means low production in those countries. This therefore means that once there's low production, then there's no jobs. This therefore means that member states, even if they try to solve it through the WTO, it's not possible today. There is no appellate body. So therefore, it means that we are in a quagmire that we cannot come out. And some of us have suggested an arbitration form of dispute settlement at the WTO for member states to bring this. Mm. But then this will require that member states agree. And I think it must get to a point where we as member states must decide to have a trade WTO trade agreement mm-hmm. minus the U.S. 
mm-hmm. and deal with ourselves minus the U.S. Because the U.S. will kill the entire multilateral trading system mm-hmm. of the world. Ronnie, you wanted to come in. Yes, I think uh, to, to, to augment what my, my, my learned uh, doctor is saying there, uh, in a nutshell, talking about resolving this judiciously, you would recall that you have the, the, the World Trade Organization, uh, which is effectively the United Nations of Trade. And the reason uh, the WTO was established, uh, which was shortly, by the way, after the, you know, the Great Depression as well, because, I mean, there was also a trade war that time that sort of also led to the Great Depression in the 1930s in America. So having said all of that, the WTO was set up to make sure that it smoothens the trading relations amongst nations of the world. And one of the biggest ways it wanted to do that was to make sure we, they, we, we eliminate what we call, uh, you know, uh, protectionism in trade. And how do, you pro- uh, how do you become protective of your trade? You increase your tariffs. And there's other uh, mechanisms that we call non-tariff barriers. For example, there are cases where the U.S. would refuse to import tuna from from Malaysia because they don't like how they catch the tuna or how they package it for that matter. Those are what we call non-trade barriers in, mm-hmm. in, in that regard. So the WTO is there. Uh, the, the, you know, the multilateral agreements, the, the bilateral agreements are there between and amongst nations themselves. But the U.S., for some reason, currently at this juncture, decided that it is going to become a rogue child and take its own direction insofar as trade is concerned. So unfortunately, Michael, that is a reversal of gains that many of our forefathers battled at the WTO to make sure that that organization becomes a solid structure to deal with. And, and, and as you, as, 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 as you uh, Aronia, are speaking, mm-hmm. as well as Dr. Nyanje, about, about how America seems to be a law unto itself. I'm now wondering whether is this how then the likes of Brixton come in? And I think that's a question I'd like to reserve for Sia Beniza. When we come back, we'll be talking about the role of BRICS and international trade. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuining Bill. Welcome back. Uh, you with me, Michael Matuining Bill. And once again, we're covering another topic of law. And, and I think we've sort of rolled with great speed trying to understand the international trade arena, what some of the tweets and blurbs by Donald Trump mean for you and I, how he's, his words tend to have a ripple effect on, on the rest of the, the, the world, particularly emerging countries, and helping me to dissect and understand some of these issues is my guest, Asiya Beneza, uh, Ronim Kwanazi, and Dr. John Nyanje, who are joining me on the line. And, and before we went on a break, Asiya, uh, um, um, you, you know, Aroni uh, and, and Dr. Nyanje had been talking about how the difficulty with which um, these trade wars could uh, 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 are resolved given the supremacy and the superiority of the united states and I, and I was wondering as they were speaking whether is this then uh, one of the things that informed the formation of BRICS? well um no i think it's a slightly different uh, reason for the formation of BRICS, mainly a you know, counterbalance in terms of global finance to uh, the existing institutions such as the World Bank and the IMF uh, coming from emerging markets. Um, but obviously with the U.S. Uh, having increasingly isolated itself, you know, as uh, Dr. Nyanje and Ronnie have been saying, uh, by undermining multilateralism globally, you know, since the early 2000s with the Doha talks where they were forceful around the issue of agricultural subsidies and then later on with the bilateral agreements which went against the spirit of the WTO which was aimed at creating multilateral agreements. The U.S. has consistently just been interested in its own interest, private interest as a nation. And so um, the, the emerging markets then came together to establish uh, what was before South Africa BRIC, 
um, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And currently, BRICS um, consists of about 40% of the global population. So um, part of the reason why Trump has been so much more interested, obviously, in Turkey uh, is as a result of talks at the BRICS in order to pave a way for Turkey to be part of mm. BRICS, um, which would expand the influence and the size of, of the body in terms of its chunk of international trade. Currently, BRICS constitutes about 15% of global trade. And but I mean, I mean Turkey on its population. own accounts for, for 1% of the world's uh, global trade, so it wouldn't have actually added a great margin to, 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 the, to that. Sort it, would, of, it wouldn't you know. have been a significant margin in terms of international trade, but mm. obviously knowing also the strategic positioning of Turkey in the right. Middle East interests of the U.S., yes. as well as... Um, you know, the growing counter voice to these institutions such as the IMF, World Bank, which have also started distancing themselves from the U.S., um, given that the U.S. policy proposals are no longer seeing themselves on the agenda of these institutions. Trump felt it necessary to act against uh, the growing um, counterweight, which is BRICS and led by China, obviously. And I think um, given the rising importance, obviously the incomes in the BRICS are not at the level that is comparable to the U.S., such that they could easily replace the U.S. as the, the global demand shifts towards the East. Um, but the fact that uh, China is moving towards um, making its currency at least a uh, substitute to the U.S. in terms of international trade, given that they've got a lot of um, currency swap agreements with African countries and other emerging markets globally, yes. as well as its currency being accepted into the special drawing rights of the IMF, this has seen the U.S., increasingly diminish in terms of its influence in global trade and global finance. And speaking of that, even Zimbabwe even Zimbabwe has decided to keep in its reserves ten percent of their of their reserves in, in the Chinese currency, the Yuan. But importantly, just to your point, um uh, see uh, that even the, the trade on, of oil, because I think that's sort of the how the U.S. has gotten this dominance. The trade of oil between Russia and China, which are both BRICS countries, um, is now going to be in their respective currencies, depending on which way it goes. And that's sort of the the, the general conversation. And, and and I suppose once again, is is Trump not is Trump's reaction not sort of a necessary reaction? given the 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 standing as you put it of of the united states both in terms of the use of its currency its standing as as a global power and its 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 own its own dominance in 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 world trade I think it could have played a different game if it was trying to influence the game from a financial perspective rather than looking at tariffs because mm-hmm. the issue of tariffs is so isolating and it creates clear enemies. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, the U.S. is now antagonizing former allies such as Canada and even Mexico as neighbors, on, yes. as well as the EU, uh, it's really, really isolating itself. So um, the issue of whether, you know, the U.S. needed to act. To, re, to, 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 to reorganize global production and move it back into the U.S. Uh, in order to regain its hegemony because that is currently the main source of what's undermining its hegemony in global trade. But by doing this through tariffs and the narrow window of trying to balance a balance of trade between itself and China, it's created more enemies that are, than you know allies and it's continuing to isolate itself in global trade. And I think the way in which global production is organized and the fact that these production networks cannot be rearranged over time. You cannot just simply move uh, your factories that are scattered all over Southeast Asia back into North America overnight. Um, this will actually uh, you know, have a detrimental impact on, on the U.S. 
And as the world continues, I think some momentum in the U.S. might find itself isolated and the rest of the world continuing to trade amongst itself. Ronnie, you, yeah. you have the benefit of being in studio with me, so I can see you, yeah, your, yeah. I can see you nodding. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I just wanted to make a point that says all around the world, most trade agreements are signed off by the parliaments of those countries. And America is a, is a black sheep because that power to sign off and negotiate multilateral and bilateral agreement is a power that is uh, regulated by the Reciprocal Trade Agreement Act, uh, which gives the President of the United States absolute power to negotiate these agreements without consulting Congress. Maybe it worked well before yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> and what would happen then uh, therefore is that most presidents would only sign off on international multilateral agreements during their last term in office or you know uh, instead of doing it up front like Donald Trump is doing it now in terms of his strategy. Dr. Nyanje I want to imagine sort of where America is going with this and uh, uh, Mexico came up in, 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 in the conversation with, with Sia Sia mentioned Mexico is one of the um, one of the agreed parties but we know that there's uh, a trade agreement um, that is to be formed or has been formed between the U.S. and Mexico. How does it look like? How does it compare to the previous ones that have been signed previously? I, I think on Monday we saw a new uh, a trade agreement that Mexico and the U.S. have signed, which President Donald Trump has praised it so much. I have had the, the benefit of, of, of looking at some of these provisions that have been put out there. I mean, it, 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 it's a lie. Whatever he signed almost resembles the TPP that he refused that was to be signed between Canada, uh, the U.S., and the, uh, and the other nine member states. There is really no big difference. And I think over time the U.S. has lied to their citizens that they are awesome trade negotiators. Mm. But every time they, trade, <laughs> they, they negotiate trade deals, they find that they have negotiated those trade deals wrong, mm -hmm. and they want to replicate them by forming other trade deals or trying to throw the other member states under the bus like what they did with the TPP. I'll give you, for example, a good example is the NAFTA. When they did the NAFTA, the U.S. always thought that they are going to be investors and they're always going to get the benefits. Now, when Canada started hitting them back, they discovered, oh, well, then we didn't negotiate this thing, right? Yes. So what do we then do? they capitulate. Then we can have another trade agreement with Mexico, and that is what they're trying to do. Well, the only difference in the trade agreement with Mexico is the dispute settlement mechanism. There is really nothing different from it. And the dispute settlement mechanism is subjection to the court or the local jurisdictions of the other members, unlike what we had in Chapter 11 of the NAFTA before submitting it to a three-member tribunal. So there's really nothing the U.S. is negotiating outside the world. I think the American citizens must stop looking into this trade deal that the U.S. is going to do all around the world and trying to affect other countries and see if at all they make sense from the political demagoguery and rhetorical that they are being told every day. And I think the U.S. must start now to be honest and trade and negotiate with partners as equal partners. Unfortunately, the EU is now very afraid. The EU cannot match up the amount of economics that the U.S. brings onto the table. The EU is afraid of its agricultural products. The EU is afraid of its pharmaceutical industry. And therefore, the EU is not the best place that we as African member states can look upon it. I think it's the time that we need to develop our own multilateral trade agreements like what we did with the SCTA and develop an African easier way of trading amongst ourselves even before we trade our goods with other nations. I mean, when you bring it back to Africa, Ronnie, mm -hmm. we, <clears throat> we have the African uh, Continental Free Trade Agreement. Mm -hmm. What's that about? How, how, 
how 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 does it compare you know is it going to sort of change the way things are done because i you know you often hear people saying that it's much easier to do business with european countries than it is to do business with an with an african countries even though we're in the same continent yeah look uh, in, in in principle all all free trade agreements are the same they aspire to do the same uh to increase trade amongst nations to increase the movement of goods and people and to ensure economic prosperity and growth uh, for for the bloc so this uh, you know uh, Africa agreement is actually a new uh, dawn for Africa because Africa is finally saying that we are capable of, of you know working amongst ourselves we're capable of developing our own economies and, and making sure that we create the better life that African people are looking for so the idea behind it is to ensure that whatever raw materials that used to leave Africa as raw material and come back as finished goods there will be more emphasis on trying to beneficiate those local materials and export them uh, you know, to, to around the world having been finished products as opposed to what's happening now. I mean, gold is in Africa but the prices are set in London, you know? Mm. Uh, and the same with coal and, 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 and the like. So, it's a new dawn for Africa. The only difference uh, uh, is if Africa actually acts on this agreement, uh, uh, Michael, because we've seen uh, in the South African context, we have a lot of international bilateral agreements. We have a lot of, you know, trade uh, concessions that we have with fellow African countries. But once those agreements are signed, they go into a drawer somewhere, parks there, five years later, somebody does them off and realizes it's a missed opportunity. So unless there is that political commitment to make sure that Africa really uh, looks inward and trades inward, uh, it's just going to remain another talk shop for the rest of our lives. Dr. Yanje, <clears throat> you share that view by Ronnie to say this is a new dawn for Africa? I, I think it's a new dawn and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that, that we, we, we are doing this. I think we should stop uh, uh, depending on, on external foreign trade. I mean, in 2016, the Zambian Quacha lost almost 70% of its value overnight because China changed its copper tariffs. We cannot be living in such a world where the biggest seller of our goods are somewhere in Asia or in Europe or in America, where when they decide one day to impose tariffs, then the value of our currency is lost back at home. So therefore, these are things that we have to change. But even touching on, on, on the land issue that these people are trying to link into the trade issues, is that Venezuela has had a similar problem with this. With, with oil. facing South Africa today. Mm. And, and, and I just want to bring in, I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dr. Nyanja, but, but you know, uh, as you and Ronnie expressed this optimism around Africa trading, uh, is the other difficulty, and, and I suppose as an economist, uh, Sia, you, you would be better placed to deal with this, is the other difficulty that it's all good and well that we've got these agreements, but ultimately you need money. And, 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 and as matters stand, we would, we, with all the desire to trade uh, intercontinentally, uh, the, the money still rests uh, outside. Technology still rests outside. So, for example, it's all good and well that we say we're going to develop uh, or we're going to build a, a railway line as the one that we've seen, for example, I think it's, it's Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're still going to need Chinese money and Chinese infrastructure and Chinese know-how. Is that not our biggest handicap where with all the trade agreements in the world, we still need capital. Yes, I think definitely. And the biggest challenge is that we import a lot of the manufactured goods. And these goods are 
Um, they, as they say, economically speaking, they've got low elasticity of demand. What this means is when the price shoots up by 10 to 20 or even 50 percent, the demand for these goods still continues, um, as opposed to what we export, which are high elasticity of demand goods because they're commodities. When a minute the price shoots up by 10 percent, even 5 percent, there's a quite a material change in the quantity that is demanded. And so this, uh, along with the fluctuations in the commodity prices, is what creates a, a balance of payment problem for a lot of African countries um, and this is really what structurally keeps us in a in, in sort of a low development cycle because we consistently need to rely on imports for certain goods uh, for certain manufactured goods but what we export doesn't guarantee that we will continue earning as much as we've been earning uh, in terms of foreign, uh, foreign reserves if you think of the impact of 2014 oil price collapse on Angola on Nigeria etc this has had very material impact on the currencies mm. and so not only does you know the government's challenge uh, in terms of mobilizing resources the currencies the themselves are being undermined by the structure of our trade. And so it's very positive that we've signed the Continental Free Trade Agreement. I think definitely because it establishes an economic basis for the integration process on the African continent. For as long as we know, I mean, since the, the days of uh, the OAU and where we are now with the AU, the process has always been driven by political figures, uh, whether it be Wama Gaddafi, whether it be our own Tabumbeki, but uh, what has been missing has been an economic basis for the regional integration process to happen, and this is what's vastly different from the EU and the and the you know the ASEAN market, where it's the trade that really underpins the integration process. So, with coming on of this agreement and hopefully uh, increasing of intra-Africa trade, we will then start to establish the economic basis that makes us to trade with one another. Uh, and given that the countries are far closer in terms of developmental differences, this makes the trade more equal and more mutually beneficial amongst African countries. Your parting shot, Ronnie? Yeah, I think uh, the, the bad effects of, of, of this protectionism we're seeing from America is that it depresses economic growth and it triggers inflation. So in the long run, the Americans are going to become poorer and not richer. Whilst the, the, you know, the narrative that's being set out there is that they're doing this in the interest to make the Americans uh, a, 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 a richer nation. But this is definitely going to backfire, uh, Mr. Mtsuning. In, in, in as quick a time as, as, as you, you can, uh, Dr. Nyanje, you were talking about developing a, a, a multilateral system of sorts in within Africa and 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 you sort of advance that as as a way out and a way of, of improving our circumstances expand on that point please as I conclude I think that there is a need to develop our own multilateral system but I think the three things that I want to say that are very important mm-hmm. number one I think we must empower the African Development Bank mm-hmm. that bank does not have enough funds does not have enough powers does not have enough uh, a way to reach many countries so Member states of the African Union must put an emphasis on the African Development Bank. If we don't do that, then we're not going to go far. But also, secondly, member states of the African Union and member states of regional bodies must also try and be honest. What Zimbabwe, South Africa, and the rest did in killing the SADC Investment Tribunal was wrong. It shouldn't happen again. And we are not going to have strong multilateral trading systems if we're going to kill our own trading system institutions like what we did with the SADC Tribunal. So I think we have a chance to develop a better multilateral trading system among ourselves where we're not going to be bullied, but then we must learn to be honest. We must do the right thing. And I must insist, let us put money in the African Development Bank. 
That's the law report. And my hope for tonight is that you know um, a lot more than you did before uh, 8 p.m. about trade agreements, how they work, economic sanction, trade tariffs, and pretty much international law and international trade. Globalization is happening. It's upon us. And even people that seem to have been promoting globalization for so long, the likes of America, are the ones that are saying, whoa, actually, maybe we don't like this globalization for, uh, anymore. Anyway, that's the law report. So let me thank all my guests, uh, Sia Beniza, uh, Ronnie Mkwanazi, and Dr. John Nyenja. Gentlemen, thank you thank so you. much for joining us. For me, Michael Matoning Bill, good evening. Stay tuned. Stay tuned to Kaya FM for more.